Howdy everybody. You are listening to Cibola Creek Conversations and this is part two of Paul and I's conversation on deconstruction. So if you haven't listened to part one, I would suggest going back and doing that. But if you have, hope you enjoy this conversation. But I think there's a lot about deconstruction that's saying, I don't want to change. I don't want to change, so I have to find a way for the Bible to change. If I can break it down and, and analyze it enough, then I can say, well, I don't think that's really what the Apostle Paul meant about you know, any number of these topics. Yeah. Therefore, what he really meant, what I interpret him to mean is, you know, and, and we, just, we just sort of rework it, so that we now have permission to say, I think, I think I'm okay. Yeah, well, and that comes down, I think, fundamentally, too, with just, like, how society, how society and culture sees itself and then sees how the person in our society sees themselves, sees their family, sees broader society, culture, institutions. It's what I think and feel is true, and all of these other places are supposed to uh, support and applaud, essentially, um, my figuring myself out internally. Yeah. Um, and so whatever I say, I feel like on the inside, no matter anything else, no matter the responsibilities I have, no matter what I was um, born like, no matter my biology, no matter um, what my family is like, none of that matters. It's just whatever I have found to be true on the inside. Um, and so, <clears throat> to me, it makes sense that people would be so offended, like literally. Um, and this is, and this is kind of the hard part is that I understand wanting to be kind and loving, um, but that train doesn't stop. Like you can't. It's not like well, you can allow. We can we can allow this and not address anything ever right now. But if we don't over a long period of time, it's like that. You can't just bring that up all of a sudden. It's not going to change. Um, and it's really, really, I think, dangerous to to go along with the with the changing way that society is seeing itself and that um, we're just supposed to applaud how each individual purports yeah. themselves to be. Yeah. So a possibility is if you if you have a society that jettisons God and we do, then eventually we assume the place of God. Yeah. We become the God. Uh, I just had lunch with a gentleman, um, former military, and we were talking about the transition of high-ranking military officers into the life of the church when they retire. And they've, you know, they've made this career out of this very, um, very rigid structure, this system, and they have sort of the the stripes and the the bars that when they say jump, people ask how high. It's kind of how it works in that that's that culture. Well, then they retire and they you know they come home and they they come to the church and the church is a completely different culture and. So we were talking about the fact that a lot of times our, observe, our observation of the last 35 years, 
uh, 25 years at Cibolo, which has a high military population in the area and consequently in our church, is we've watched military officers struggle with finding their place in the church. And he said something that was so funny to me in how he, how he said it. He said, yeah, if you have a, a general or a colonel coming into the church maybe for any number of reasons after he retires, he doesn't want to be an, a new Christian. He's used to being Christ. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was really, really yeah. observant is, I, I don't want, I'm not new. I, do you know who I was? Do you know what I did? Do you know the power and the influence that I held? And so he comes in the church, which isn't anything like that. It's a family of believers, primarily the church driven by volunteers. And he's not, he's just not accustomed to that framework. And so you start talking in terms of like being a new Christian. He's like, I've been around the world. I, I can't even tell you the things I've had to do as a part of my duties. And now you're going to call me a new Christian when he sees himself as a bit of a Messiah because mm-hmm. of, you know, the stature of his, his power in that structure. And so I think it's true in a society that cast off God, then they become a God to themselves. And they're saying, it's my truth. And so the problem with that is there's no one truth then. There's there's millions of truths based on each individual who sees himself as a god. And I don't know how a society functions in any kind of unified or healthy way with millions of different definitions of truth. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that it really does. Um, And that's kind of where you get, I guess, to get more like what's happening in our society is that people are uh, just moving. Like they're they're relocating themselves into more like-minded areas. Like we're actually seeing a a geographical switch across the country um, ever really since COVID. But um, yeah, no, you really, you really, you, you really can't. And then, the church trying to come in and say, hey, uh, there's actually one truth, and we have to be um, obedient to it and subordinate to it. Um, yeah, that's not going yeah, to end a, well. It's a huge curveball for the person who's not working from the moorings of things like the eternal sovereign God or even the inerrant inspired scripture. If, if that's, those aren't frames of reference for them, then... Those are huge curveballs to say, no, there's a truth, and we define right and wrong, good and bad, from that fixed position of that truth. Um, yeah, the, the, the challenge of what's well, my truth is then nobody can really tell me what's right, what's wrong, and what may be right and wrong for you, it may not be right and wrong for me, and I, that just leads to chaos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I I really enjoyed your past this past Sunday's message because um, it was it was about Jesus' encounter with Matthew, but more specifically, it was about the idea of repentance, um, yes. which is actually to turn away from to turn away from uh, 
whatever way you were going in sin, uh, your kind of this former life, and to turn towards the things of God. So regardless of where you're pointed before, you're now going to uh, co- coordinate, ordinate, what is the word I'm looking for? Point yourself towards God and follow him. Um, right. And <clears throat> that's something that, I, like I said, I, I called, I titled it on YouTube, like the forgotten piece, the forgotten element of following Jesus. Because nobody likes to talk about that yeah, part. Yeah, nobody's anymore. talking much about repentance for a lot of different reasons. Um, one, we're kind of soft on the definition or the declaration of sin, so nobody really thinks they have anything to repent of. Um, sort of what you started off with. We've created this real easy believism approach to you know our faith, so. We don't want to ask anybody to do anything hard or uncomfortable or, you know, anything that requires kind of good, honest humility, like the admission of I'm headed in the wrong direction. And, um, yeah, so I was, you know, it's funny these days in my teaching because of some recent um, situations. I'm finding myself, I'm trying not to walk on eggshells but I, I'm finding myself navigating how do you handle difficult subjects without blowing things up, blowing relationships up or turning people off. And so it's, it's, it's I'm just finding myself not really knowing how to tread right now. I'll figure it out. I'm, it's much a prayerful conversation I'm having right now, but, um, So I was explaining to people that what we're seeing in society, we're seeing it with politicians, we're seeing it with educators, we're seeing it with social media influencers, seeing it with celebrities. Whenever they do use Jesus for some sort of leverage of their agenda, they're all adopting this idea, hey, Jesus was love and Jesus was grace and Jesus was forgiving. And so we see him running around with all these, you know, sordid characters in the story of the Gospels. And so they're using that to say, well, Jesus hung out with the likes of the woman at the well and Matthew and Zacchaeus and, and you know, the whole sordid bunch. And they use that as a way of saying, see, Jesus in his love and his grace, he accepted and approved these people in their behavior. And I go, no, that's not what you see. That's what you want to see. What you see is that he pursued relationship with them. But as we saw in this week's message in the account of Matthew, he did that to call them to repentance. He was building the relational credibility and showing them his love for them as people as an opportunity then in in a proper time frame is to say, I'm calling you away from the cheating, the lying, the stealing, the extortion, the prostitution, the, the crime, whatever, whatever's illustrated in each of those passages or those encounters that we see in the gospels. He's, he's calling them to a different way of life, not, Hey, I'm your friend and 
I forgive you for, you know, the, the choices that you make and the lifestyle you pursue. I, hey, no problem. My grace covers all of that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I love you. And the point, one of the points that we, we pulled out from this week's passage with Matthew was, I love you so much, I'm not going to leave you where I found you. Mm. I found Matthew in a, locked in a lifestyle of cheating and uh, theft and extortion and all that went with maintaining this, um, this role as in his society as a tax collector. Jesus says, that's no way to live. So Matthew, I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to build friend, a relationship with you. I'm going to establish some sort of rapport. But I'm going to call you to repentance. I'm going to invite you to turn away from how you're living to move toward following me. And what I'm seeing with politicians and celebrities and social influencers and academics is, uh, again, they don't typically like to use the Bible or God or Jesus that, that, you know, that's all superstition and myth. But when they do, they always use it in the, in an improper way to sort of justify their agenda, conveniently forgetting some of the important expressions that Christ makes clear. Um, you know, you've, you and I have often talked about, you know, the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. And, you know, he defends her from the Pharisees and, and keeps her from being stoned to death. But then he leaves her with these words, go and stop living your life the way that you are. And that was essentially his message to Matthew, is I'm going to protect you from the Pharisees who want to judge and condemn you and label you as, you know, the sinner. Um I want to protect you from that sort of religious abuse, but that doesn't mean I'm going to condone your theft, your cheating, your extortion, your your morality. I'm going to call you away from that. Yeah, and that's kind of where I see, um, like, where I see the deconstruction is where they're kind of fundamentally going wrong, for the most part, is that they will, um, their beef with the church and with the Bible started with, the uh, religious abuse or church hurt. There's another, there's another podcast episode, but um, which there's absolutely real instances of that. And so they started with religious abuse, with a harsh legalism, with a, a, uh, just a culture of, of anger and hate and, and, and not one of um, seeking out the best for, our lost brothers and sisters, but they they kept going, and they just completely skipped over the now go and send no more part. They they skipped over the um, well. I'm going to call you to repent. Like Jesus calls you to repent. Also, um, it they, they I guess maybe they stopped rather than kept going. They just stopped at um, you're forgiven. Yeah, with the woman caught in adultery, and then Jesus walks away. That's the story that's been rewritten. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, let's analyze it to the point that we can remove it from the responsibility and the accountability of go and sin no more. We'll just tell the part that's popular and, you know, favorable. Like, so this Sunday, I'm, we're going to look at Zacchaeus. 
also a tax collector. Uh, that account highlights a little different aspect of um, having a relationship with Jesus, which is what we're exploring. And we're going to dive down into this dichotomy that the church has catered to regarding faith and works and how we often split those apart and we end up sorry if i'm giving away this week's message you're gonna have to sit through (laughs) this again but um we're throwing away the the obedience part of the equation and just catering to the belief side where we end up leading people to believe as long as you acknowledge certain truths about Jesus to be true, you're good to go. But it doesn't mean you have to live by them. But you, but we don't teach that, that faith, and that's part of what I'm going to explore, is that the word translated believe, which is actually the word faith, which is actually the idea of trust, when, when he says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not just saying just intellectually ascend assent give assent to this truth of who jesus is it's no in giving assent to the truth you now order your life in relationship to what you confess and that is i order my life to following jesus and that's the obedience part that's that's the deeds or the works part not works as in trying to earn a salvation but as a demonstration of the transformation that happened at the conversion of the moment when you decided jesus is who he is yeah well i mean that's that's the carrying the cross part right yes and jesus specifically tells us to do that what what does that mean if not die to yourself and each person's going to have that's going to be different that's going to look different for each person but it's a cross nonetheless right Yes. Because we all have different selves and different things that we struggle with and different proclivities or weaknesses, whatever that may be, all kinds of different junk that each one of us has to let die um, and to let uh, Christ and the Holy Spirit um, work within us to, to, to make us something new, to make us more to like Christ. Transform. Yeah. You know, we don't use the word very often, but I'm beginning to see the beauty of it it's you know the word conversion we we typically use the word salvation but this idea of conversion is really really pertinent it's about a change it's a it's about turning something the other way and essentially heading in a different direction and again i for a number of poor reasons the church has soft peddled the idea of conversion and really promoted the idea of salvation if you believe these things you get to go to heaven when you die and you're forgiven of your sins whereas conversion it it just has a different nuance it's if you believe these things these things ought to change the way you think and behave and it's that's I mean, at the end of the day, that is the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to bring about conversion, to bring about you know, sanctification, to bring about the change of one's heart and mind uh, as a follower of Christ. 
So any, I'm just, I'm just seeing that any discussion about faith in Jesus that really dismisses or downplays the idea of the call of obedience is really an unfair presentation of, of the gospel. And, and, and it gets complicated because then we're like, oh, it's not free then. It's built on, you know, you have to do these things. And I again, that's where you go round and round. And I think that's why the churches kind of push these two things so far apart because we don't want to create the confusion that you're somehow earning your salvation by, you know, doing the things. Yeah. And, and definitely is like a... It's very hard because... You can keep, you can continuously make the same mistake over and over again. As uh, even after you've 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 been saved and in the process of conversion, and and you're still going to be good, right? And it's and it's it's hard because there's no like, and again that gets into like once saved always saved kind of thing. But like, you're not going to be kicked out the house just because you messed up again or because you keep messing up. Like God's love and grace is sufficient for the sins that you make, even after you you place your faith and start following him. Um, but but there is an expectation that it's like, hey, if you're going to be a part, if, if you're going to be under this king, and if you're going to live within his, the limits of his kingdom, there's some, there's some rules, there's some expectations in place, as there is with anything else mm-hmm. in life. Um, in, in our bodies, where we live here, the physical, you know, our physical kingdom, our king, towns, cities, um, that you live and act a certain way, um, especially when, you know, I kind of look at it like a marriage. It's like <clears throat> you can just keep being the same person, each individual be the same person for your entire marriage. But, boy, you are not getting anything out of marriage. My guess, it's not going to last very long. If you don't both work within a marriage to build each other up into better versions of ourselves, w- with that idea that, like, Hey, you're stuck with me. I'm stuck with you. So we may as well like try to figure this thing out, right? right? right. Um, in that same way, like God calls us to a. You said it great this past Sunday. It's like He calls you to be um, the person that He always knew you would be. Right. I think that's how you said it. Um, he called. He calls you. I don't know if I use the word calls, but he he invites you to be the person you never thought mm-hmm. you could be, but He always knew. You would be. Yeah. Um, it's, it, I'm, I'm just finding myself, particularly preparing for this week's message, is, is pushing into that tension of demonstrating how our deeds, our behaviors, our works, we get really squirrely around the word works, um, how it's related to our faith. And, you know, we got a, we got an entire epistle in the New Testament, <laughs> the book of James, that addresses that very question that a faith without works is useless, it's dead. I mean, he, how many ways can he say that it's, it's not legitimate? It's not, it's not salvific. It's, it doesn't, provide what you think it does and uh, you know one of the problems we'll talk about this but we we hear the word works we only think of it in one way we think of it as the thing you do to earn something 
namely a paycheck. I go to work to earn a paycheck. When, when the New Testament uses the word works, it's not using it as an earning effort. It's, it, that's just the word for deeds. That's just a word for behaviors. Your works are the things you do, whether you get paid for them or not. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to sort through some illustrations in my head to how do I explain the difference between the things you do to get paid and the things you do just because it's what you do. Well, that's really what the scriptures talk about when it says um, your works are the demonstrations of your faith. Or as Jesus said, the fruit in keeping with repentance. So you can say you repented, but Jesus wants to see the fruit of it. He wants to see the evidence of it. He wants to see the deeds that demonstrate that your repentance was genuine. Well, and I think too, and this is something that Bonhoeffer is getting into, but if you if nothing is changed, like uh, I guess look at it this way, I can say that I trust that parachute's going to hold me if I mm-hmm. jump out of the plane. What does that trust matter if I never jump out? If you never jump out, yeah, and and in the same way, it's like <laughs> there is no faith required if you don't change anything about yourself. If you just keep going in the same way, you're not putting your faith in the fact that, okay, God, you say that, that this part of me um, needs to be gone away with. Well, I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to trust that you're right and that you care about me and that you know more than me, which he does. Um, and so I'm going to trust that I'm going to live my life that way. And yes, it's going to be hard. And yes, it's going to be painful in some cases. And yes, I'm going to mess up. But that trust, that faith, it is more than, yeah, God, I, I really think that you love me a lot and you don't want me to do that thing. I'm going to keep doing it. Well, you're not, there's no, yes. that's just an acknowledgement. You're just saying words. Right. And I think that's, that's the, the issue with the word believe. I believe, but I don't step out in that belief, which looks like obedience. Yeah. And you're exactly right. That's a great illustration. One that I considered is, the difference between the belief that a parachute will slow my descent and then there's the action of stepping out and trusting it and again it goes back to sort of an unfortunate aspect of how the scriptures get translated through the use of words from you know, one language to the next um, translators chose the word believe it's rendered belief we as Americans, we have we have a definition of belief. And there was really more to that Hebrew and Greek concept of what belief was intended to be. It's just a word I think falls short. Um, I mean, I, I think, and this is hard because of the historical discussion, but... Um, Okay, I'll say it. it's a conversation that we have, right? Yeah. A, I think he's really saying, you know, Acts 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Uh, Peter says that to the Philippian jailer, Peter or Paul, one of those guys. Um, I really, I think the better rendering to represent the word obedient, uh, to represent the word believe is really repent and obey and you will be saved. 
Yeah. But man, you talk about hair standing up on the back of people's necks and you know them getting really nervous. That sounds like works. You mean I have to do something? I have to do something. <laughs> and you know, Ephesians says, you know, not by works of righteousness. Uh, Ephesians says, for by grace you're saved, not by works. It's a gift. And so we again, we just get so wrapped up around trying to keep these two things apart that we we just mislead people as to how they get saved. It's so, I don't know. Yeah, we we mislead people, but I think that Scripture is consistent enough um, that having a bad word to describe or believe, um, I think that's forgivable for those poor translators. Um, But uh, to me, it... It just doesn't, it doesn't, that isn't enough to justify um, this. Well, it's just by saying these words and by the grace, um, by grace alone. That's, I mean, yes, that's true, like you've been saying. But I think, oh, this is what I was going to say. I was, see, I was wobbling around there because I forgot <laughs> what I was saying. I figured if I just kept talking, it would come to me. And it did. And it did. To me, <laughs> the grace is that he extends an invitation in the first place. Like that is mm. so grace like that yeah the, the fact that I would even give it an, get an invite it's like wow yeah um well okay well I'm gonna have to prepare myself according to how this party is kind of what the expectations are are, are like um and in that same way I'm gonna have to follow Jesus Matthew had to leave behind being a tax collector and he had to follow he had to put himself in a position where Bonhoeffer says this you have to put yourself in a position where faith is actually even possible. Oh, and I love that because it's like, wow, it's oh, good. Um, yeah, he has some, he has some one-liners. I'll tell you what, that yeah. Bonhoeffer, <laughs> those Germans. Bonhoeffer. You get Bonhoeffer, and then there's also <laughs> Nietzsche. So two sides of a very different coin. You know, it's interesting reading guys like Bonhoeffer. Um, it's I find them so deep and um, thorough. And so thought-provoking, and yet they had this uncanny knack for saying it in simple ways. Well, that's like yeah. I don't. I find him deep. I don't find him hard. No. Right. There's some people I I find hard, and I end up you know reading the same sentence four times trying to. I, I don't get what he's getting at or what he's saying. Try read Judith Butler. So well, you won't last long. <laughs> Unless there's pictures, I don't last long. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, Bonhoeffer is not hard to understand. He's very, very, um, he's very, very straightforward. Uh, C.S. Lewis is like that too. And, you know, C.S. Lewis is so good at. I don't know. Abolition of man's pretty word, The word pictures that he provides, the images, I think, makes him accessible while he's dealing with, you know, really complex thoughts. I thought that, and then I read. I tried reading Abolition of Man. You got lost, huh? I did. Well, it was just I was going into it thinking that it was going to be like his other books. Oh, and so whenever <laughs> he hits me with like, okay, wait a minute, I have to, I can't read this that fast. Yeah, but yes, no, absolutely, and and yeah. I agree. I have um, this. I have this author. He's not a you know Christian author. He he may be a Christian, but he doesn't write Christian material. Uh, Bill Bryson. Uh, Somebody somebody gave me a book by him, and I read it, and it was hysterical. 
And then I, I read another book by him, and it was hysterical. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm a, I'm a Bryson fan. I, I'm going to read everything this guy's got. And then, then I, I tackle it. Yeah, that one right there, this one, the, what is it? The, the short, short history, history of, of nearly, nearly everything. everything. Is it pretty funny? And I, No, it's not funny at all. Oh. <laughs> and I was expecting funny. And I remember I started reading it on an airplane, and I was just like, I was just overwhelmed. But he has this bandwidth of writing this really, you know, profound scientific kind of stuff. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. And he goes in, he goes into historical depths that you're just like, How, where do you even find this information? And then he writes this other book that has me just rolling on the floor laughing, and I'm like, that's an amazing writer. Yeah, he has the bandwidth. But it was funny because I went into this book, The Short History of Everything, thinking it was going to be the funny one, and it wasn't funny. <laughs> Good to know. It's interesting, but it's it's very thorough. Good to know is I uh, eventually maybe might get to that book. <laughs> Well, if you if you, if you get well, that's more of your style. You like that kind of stuff, so. Yeah, the only novels I feel like I can read are like Russian literature, and those are just depressing. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> want to spend my afternoon reading that? I read, I, yeah, me and Allie were reading um, uh, *Crime and Punishment* together. I read it out loud because reading something like that helps me speak more fluently. And uh, a great story, but sad. Boy, is it sad. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, uh, I think that we had a pretty good conversation about this. I hope that for people who are listening, um, they're kind of hearing this term used and whatnot. It brings some clarity. Yeah, you know, as I was thinking about this podcast and you had, you had suggested what the topic would be, I was like, are we missing the mark? of our audience like you and i can sit here and we can go for an hour talking about deconstruction but i don't know what's our audience you know interested in and i think the risk would be well that sounds like really heady stuff that's really kind of academic sophisticated kind of stuff deconstructionism you just change the title I'll probably title this one, like, Why Can't I Do That? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but the the truth of the matter is it has an, an enormously yeah. practical application to the world that we're living in. And I would say to that listener who might, who, who you know, stuck with us this far after hearing what the topic was, um, I would say to them the the caution is we are living in a world and a society that's endeavoring to deconstruct really important foundational truths and critical moral and ethical principles for how a society works. And you're living in that world. And so be very careful about what you listen to and, and how you appraise it because um, it's happening all around us that these really foundational truths are being they're being deconstructed. People are trying to pull them apart in such a way as to shake them off. And it's not um, it's not like that's not also then happening in the church. 
and it's possible to sit in a congregation and listen to sermons that are the fruit of deconstruction, where a preacher has analyzed things and concluded new ideas about what the Bible's really saying as a way to give them the permission to dismiss responsibility and accountability to their flock about how to live their life. And it's possible it may be the church that has been a part of your spiritual journey for years, but if it's pulling out from under you the the timeless truths of God's word for the sake of more contemporary popularity, you need to really look at, is your church serving you well? Yeah. And so I, I do think that while the word itself sounds kind of heady stuff, um, the idea of what's happening is really, really critical. Well, it's also very practical because it's like, well, odds are everybody listening to this has participated in this deconstruction thing or, or been familiar with it to a certain degree. And if they haven't, then their kids are or their friends are. Um, you don't have to go looking very far to see this kind of thing. Like people right. that you would not assume would think this, this, or this, or throw this uh, this doctrine out or that doctrine out or, or this idea out, um, they have. And it's very surprising. And and so I think that I felt like we should talk about it because I'm seeing it everywhere and I'm seeing it in it's, it, it really is like a virus when it infects different places. Um, it just starts taking people out and eventually the entire organization, one, either goes away entirely or two, becomes like any old organization everywhere else. Like it looks no different than society. Right. It's just right. here we say Jesus loves you instead of you, you're you beautiful, you're loved. We just put a name to it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I found it very important to, for us to, to yeah. talk about it. I'm glad you I'm glad you brought it up. And there's going to be elements. There's been elements of this in every discussion we've had since we started the season. So, um this was just kind of putting a name to it and kind of recognizing what what people are calling it. So, right. but well, I enjoyed it. Yes, thank you, sir, for leading the way. Absolutely. We'll uh, see everybody next time. <laughs> <laughs>